0: You're listening to the Stream Grace Network.
1: Thanks for joining us on the Renewed You podcast. We're here to help you discover how mental, physical, and spiritual health combine to help you live your best life. We want to give you hope, tools, and encouragement because the world needs a renewed you. Now, here's your host, John Yule. Hey, hey, hey,
0: good afternoon, everyone, or evening or morning, or whenever you happen to be listening to this podcast. We are so glad that you are with us today for the next episode of Renewed You. This podcast is proudly sponsored by New Life Church. We invite you to check us out at newlifeokc.org, and we would love to connect with you there. Uh, I'm joined today by my co-host and friend Jeremy Griffin. How you doing, Jeremy?
2: I'm well. Thanks for having me. It's been a little while, I feel like since I've been back on the co-host circuit here.
0: Yeah, I know. We're we're trying to get you, you know, get the retread going.
2: Yeah, well, it's happening. We're here. <laughs> All right.
0: And today our guest is uh, someone that I have known for uh, many years and um, have great respect for this man. He is an international minister and um, he's a great, great guy. And you're going to enjoy hearing his story today. And that is Mr. Jim Eby. How are you doing, sir? I'm
1: doing super. Good day.
0: Well, hey, man, where are uh Jim is joining us on uh, the phone today. Where Where are you at nowadays, my friend?
1: I'm located in Conroe, Texas. That's on the extreme north end of Houston.
0: Extreme north end of Houston. Man, that's yes. that's a big city down there.
1: That's a big city, but a good one. Good place to live.
0: A good place to live. I have yep. family in Katy, Texas.
1: Yeah. Yep. Baby Katy is in West Houston. And we're in extreme north, so Katie's about 800 miles from us. Not really. But. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, man, that's huge. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it feels like when you drive from here to Katie.
2: Oh, I can imagine. I mean, even just the Dallas Metroplex driving from one side to the other is a day trip that you got to pack lunch for. Yeah,
1: yeah it is.
0: Well, uh Jim, why don't you just uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and uh, just just talk about your life a little bit, sir?
1: Well, I was born and raised in a little town in eastern Oklahoma called Shikota. Uh From there, I went to the University of Oklahoma uh, and then on to Southwestern Christian University. And after that, I've lived about five or six lifetimes. I lived (laughs) one lifetime in Oklahoma where I served as pastor and Christian ed director for a uh, conference in the IPHC denomination And then I served a lifetime as a general youth director for our denomination. And following that, I served a lifetime in Houston, Texas, 1979. We moved to Houston where we pioneered the church. Had a wonderful experience here for about seven years. And then moved to London, England, where we lived for the next seven years. A lot of my life has gone in seven year cycles. <laughs> so <clears throat> in London, we were directing a training program for our denomination from uh, four uh, top leaders, primarily from Asian and African countries. Wonderful experience there. Started the Bible school at that point, and then from London was back in the USA, where I served as pastor and then as superintendent over a little over a hundred churches in eastern Oklahoma, western Arkansas, and southern Missouri. And from there, I moved back to Texas in about 2001 and started uh, the missions organization, which uh, I served as president and founder, called Mission Catalyst International, which uh, trains national pastors and church planters to take the gospel to the unreached peoples of the earth, the people who have never heard the gospel. So I've been doing that for almost 20 years now. Our first training conference was in India in 2002, and so almost 20 years now we have been focusing on missions and primarily on reaching those who have not heard. So, in a nutshell, that's what I've been doing for my lifetime.
0: So your lifetime is definitely tied into ministry, obviously.
1: It it is all tied into ministry. So,
0: when you were younger, you know, like high school, were, were you interested in, you know, ministry
1: at that point? Not really. Uh, I gave my life to Jesus in January of 1963 when I was a senior in high school, and uh, from there went to the University of Oklahoma studying in petroleum engineering, but it was while at OU that I felt the call of God on my life. Well, I don't want to be a petroleum engineer. I want to preach the gospel. And so there I transferred to Southwestern and started studying for the ministry. So petroleum
0: engineering, I mean, that sounds like something you got to be pretty smart to get involved in, right?
1: Well, you've (laughs) probably got to be pretty smart to be good at it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What would you have done in petroleum engineering?
2: I don't have a clue. You don't have a clue. <laughs> <laughs> hence the, hence the yeah. transfer, right?
1: <laughs> I was in a career where you could make money, and there was a lot of money in oil those days. Yes, sir. But the more I got plugged into Jesus, the more I saw there was a whole lot more to life than making money.
0: Well, I think that is obvious from your journey. Um So, have you done life by yourself, or um, is there love in your life?
1: Uh, There is one love in my life, and that's Peggy, and we have been married now for 56 years. Well, I hope you make it. Yeah, well, (laughs) she she says we have been happily married for 40 years. So.
2: <laughs> so the last 16 have been rough, huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no,
1: I've seen a myth. They got rough.
2: There you go. Well,
0: uh, so Peggy, um, how did you guys meet? Did you meet at Southwestern? Did you meet at OU? I mean,
1: oh, we met actually at my home church. Peggy was actually a teenage evangelist. And she would go to various churches and hold youth rallies and youth revivals. And she actually came to my church in Shakota, And that's where I first met her. It was, I don't know, a couple years later that we really started dating and we got married in nineteen sixty five and it's been a wonderful journey because she's a wonderful woman.
0: <laughs> Sounds like a smart man to me.
1: <laughs> yeah, I made a good choice. There. <laughs> I know you did.
0: So you married Peggy. Did you guys have any
1: kids? We have three children. We have 13 grandchildren, and three of them are married now, which gives us 16 grandchildren. And we have one great-grandchild and three more great-grandchildren on the way. So we've got quite a clan.
0: I would say that you are in the multiplication stage of your life.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a truth. Well, yeah.
0: Um, full disclosure, everybody. I know, um, Jim's and Peggy's three kids. So Jim, let's talk about them for a minute. Uh, sure. tell us, your oldest, uh, is your daughter, correct?
1: That's right. Ellen.
0: Ellen Moore. Correct. And, uh, let me tell you, man, Ellen and her husband, Philip had a huge impact on Shandra and I when we were at Southwestern. Wow. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, Ellen is a beautiful lady guys. I'm just telling you, uh, she's beautiful and you know, Philip, he's all right, but Ellen's pretty, you know, <laughs> and, uh, the thing that impressed me about Philip and Ellen, um, was that their first kiss was at their wedding. Is that correct?
1: Um, could be did you know that off. i i don't guess i did know that
0: yeah they used to talk to us oh. about how that their first kids <laughs> and man us as college kids we were like what if he had what if she had had bad breath man <laughs> yeah
2: are that's you, the beauty of that whole thing the, the expectations are set i mean yeah
1: whatever it is is what it is <laughs> <laughs> I'll, well i I hate to say it, but my first kiss with Peggy was before we got married.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad to know that because that makes me feel better. Yeah. But I'll never forget what Philip told us or taught us um, in that group when they would spend time with us. Um, and and they did a great job of joking with us and laughing about it. But then Philip just had this way of just, you know, make dropping comments that made you kind of stop and think. Yeah. And, um, when they shared that with our group and, uh, he said, guys, I wasn't marrying her kiss. I was marrying her. Yeah. And, uh, that stuck has stuck with us. And I've wow. told that story to young people ever since then, you know, in ministry and whatever. So,
1: um, Wonder. but Ellen, now they're doing a great job, you know, with Philip here is, uh, the executive pastor now at the Art Church here in Conroe, which is a church of about 6,000, and Ellen is the lead children's pastor, so she's got about 1,000 children from birth through fifth grade. Both of them are doing a great job
0: man that's that's a lot to that's a lot of 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 administrative and ministry stuff to yeah. to oversee
1: yeah they're super
0: well i i know they are so ellen is your oldest and then you're you have two boys who's your oldest son
1: david david david, david and andrea
0: david and andrea that's right Andrea, um, we were all friends in college. Yeah. And in fact, Andrea and uh, I, we sang on, on a record together. Um In, wow. in the studio, yeah. Um, so, uh, tell us about David. What are they, David and Andrea, what are they doing? Where are they at?
1: They are in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, David has uh, a business of uh, Uh, real estate and real estate appraisal and is doing super. Uh, Andre works a little bit, but primarily manages their children. Um, But they are are doing super.
0: Awesome. Okay, so that's uh, David and your other son. What's his name?
1: Jonathan.
0: Jonathan. And what is Jonathan Jonathan up to?
1: And Lanita,
0: Lanita,
1: yeah. All right. And interestingly enough, our all three of our children married the children of people that were longtime friends of ours, and all of them were pastors. So that's really interesting sideline. So, what is Jonathan
0: yeah. and Lanita doing?
1: Okay, Jonathan is. Uh, executive vice president um, over IT for an extremely large music company in Nashville called Concord. So they're a, they're a billion-dollar organization, and he's been in the music industry for a long time in in the IT part of it. He is doing super. He loves it. David and Jonathan both love their jobs. They love Nashville, so we're proud of them. Thankful.
0: Now, were all of your kids? Did they spend time with you? Were they uh, in London when you guys were there?
1: Uh, yes, uh, Ellen, Ellen, and Jonathan went with us to London. David was just starting his senior year of high school when we moved to London so he chose to remain here with Peggy's sister and brother-in-law in order to finish his senior year. Uh, Jonathan and Ellen went with us and then not, not too much later, Ellen went to YWAM in Switzerland so why wham?
0: Why wham stands for what? For people who don't know,
1: youth, youth with a mission. Yeah, and uh, she she went to their training school and outreach in Switzerland. Actually, she and Philip both went to that, and Jonathan pretty much grew up in his uh, teenage year, young teen, and teen years in London. So. He had a wonderful experience there. Was a tremendous guide. He learned London like the back of his hand. And whenever we had visitors come, Jonathan would take them around to see all the sights. And so he really enjoyed growing up in London.
2: Now uh, I'm a I'm a father of three, and I've got three boys. And I I just had this conversation. My youngest is ten. My oldest two are out of the house in their t- early twenties, and. I had this conversation with him recently, um, with my youngest, because he was telling, asking me today. I homeschool him. He asked me why I'm so mean, and uh, (laughs) and I said I'm not mean. I said I'm trying to prepare you. I said I'm not raising a kid. I'm raising an adult, and uh, and so my question to you is, you know, I'm hearing this that the background of all the kids, uh, you know, spouses, even everyone's growing up in ministry. So how intentional were you as a parent in thinking about? raising these kids because for a lot of people you know especially early on my first kids came when i was 22 years old and a lot of what i did was by accident on the first couple years at sure. least um, sure. but as i got in my my late 20s early 30s i was a lot more intentional about it and i'm just curious you know how much of that did you really consciously invest in and now you're getting to see the fruit of it and how much of it is just god's grace
1: <laughs> <laughs> well most of it's always god's grace
2: Amen to that. <laughs> but,
1: but we we were intentional when our children were small. I, I think the one thing we tried to teach our children from the very beginning was obedience. Mm. The, the importance of obedience in your life. And we... You know, I, I think we were fairly successful at that because all three of our kids learned to obey authority and, you know, live, get along with people. And But I, I guess that was the one thing, just teaching them the importance of obedience. That's probably the greatest lesson that a parent can teach a child, in my opinion. Mm.
2: Yeah, because it stems from the, the if you if you don't teach that lesson, then it's very difficult for them to grab the concept of obeying God. When God speaks, the Word of God comes out forth. You, you know, it's just a natural progression.
1: And absolutely, and when we disciplined our children, we didn't discipline them for foolish things. We dis- discipline them for disobedience. Mm-hmm. That's good. I'm sure there's a lot of things that I would do differently if I had to go over to do over again. But God was so merciful, and we are so thankful for our children and grandchildren. We have a wonderful relationship with them. We all love each other. We love being around each other, having a good time, and so I'm very thankful for that.
0: Well, my kids are going to listen to this, and they're going to be be like, Dad, you discipline us for <laughs> foolish stuff. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> kidding. Your kids ain't going to listen to this. Oh, yeah, they do. They listen to this podcast. Do they listen to this podcast? Yeah, they do. They really do. Man. And, well, uh, good, good on you. Z, you're raising them right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: Do you remember anything in particular when you said you focused on obedience? Um, uh, anything, any way you guys specifically approached that that you can remember?
1: Um, not really, other than you know, when we discipline, we discipline them, we discipline them, and you know. I, told a lot of people, I'm so thankful that I raised mine in another generation because I'd probably be in jail today. <laughs> <laughs> we, we actually spanked our children yep. but, but we spanked them in love. We told them why we were spanking them and we spanked them hard enough that it meant something, so you may not want to put this on your podcast.
0: No, I. I mean, Jeremy Spinks's kids.
2: <laughs> yeah, but the statute of the statute of limitations run out on Jim. It's <laughs> That's not, it's right. not for me.
0: <laughs> Jim doesn't have anything to worry about. Uh, yeah. When when you guys were in London, um, did you guys do like? I, I, well, I know that David and I. We did street dramas and stuff like that. Um yeah. did you guys do outreaches and and stuff like like that in London? What was that like?
1: Oh, that was wonderful. We did outreaches all the time in the area where we lived. We were in uh, inner city. We were in North Central London in an area called Finchley Park and we did uh, outreaches all the time. We had uh, an outreach late on Saturday night that we call Midnight Rescue. Talk about that for we, a
0: minute. I remember those.
1: Yeah, we we would go out and do dramas and singing and try to find people that were hurting and people who were interested and witness to them. And if they were interested, we would bring them back to our training center. There and give them something to eat and try to minister to them further. So those were wonderful days. We we would even go into central London, down into the um, the really public areas, an area called Leicester Square, and we would do dramas and all kinds of things there. Those those were good days. Lots of outreach, trying. Trying to bring the love of Jesus to people
0: And the school, the school uh, obviously was pretty successful yes
1: it was it was a great period in our lives, and uh, i I hope it was the people we trained, I think would say that they learned a lot during that time. so as I said, we were training primarily top leaders in our denomination from uh, African and Asian countries, and we would bring them there for four months of intensive training in theology, evangelism, strategy planning, all that kind of thing. And I think most people in the denomination at that point would have said that it, it was fairly successful it, uh, at least the leaders we trained uh, went on and made a good name for themselves and did some great work around the world
0: did you i would imagine in london um you probably had your share of people that came through there that were that were pretty uh in your face uh with yeah. their evangelism would that be safe to say
1: Yes, that would be safe to say. (laughs) Remember, one of the areas uh, near our training center where we used to do outreach was right near, uh, um, right kind of out in front of a communist bookstore, and they weren't very happy. Whenever we would do outreaches, they would come out and at times try to shut us down and cut the cords and our electrical equipment and, uh, we had some experiences there but overall it was uh, it was a good time
0: how would you compare the uh, culture of London to the culture of America that London then um, well versus today in America
1: okay Lon- London at that Time was the most cosmopolitan city in the world. They said that every day on the streets of London, they spoke uh, over a hundred languages. So there were people there from all over the world, but for the most part, they they did not have a... Christian foundation background so there was there was a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol, a lot of um, uh, violence at at times I I would say overall what we found in London was that there wasn't a, a real spiritual moral base in the thinking of the people. So they were they were a bit behind the US in in that point.
0: Behind as far as having a uh, moral compass and and background right. or Correct. were we yeah. or were they ahead of us for where our culture was going based on today.
1: Yeah. Well, yes, both. Yeah, they were behind us in a moral base, but ahead of us where culture was headed. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, in that kind of environment, um, did you guys experience any violence? I mean...
1: Well, we had, um, we had a few murderers out, out in the area where we lived. Um, remember, one morning we woke up and... Uh, to a prostitute who had been murdered out in actually in the churchyard, which was right across the street from where we lived. And, you know, we had police all over the place. Actually, my son Jonathan was the last one they determined who had seen the girl before she was killed. So, yeah, there, there was some violence
0: in those days. Wow, man. Well, I, I know that's where I really learned about you. Um, one other thing before we dive into another area of your life. I did not remember the the uh, um, part that you were talking about where you were um, over a group of churches. Was that in the East Oklahoma at that time? Correct. Oh, my word. I did not realize yeah. that that's the, that you went over there.
1: Yeah, while I was there, we changed the name of the conference to New Horizons because they combined churches that were in western Arkansas and southern Missouri uh, into that conference, and so we changed the name to New Horizons. I think at that point, when I left, we had uh, 114 churches.
2: Wow,
0: that's amazing. Well, you're at Mission Catalyst now, and you said that you're training national leaders. Um, I think I know what you mean by that, but how would you describe national leaders to our listeners?
1: Okay, these are our target countries. Um, Our ministry really aims at uh, unreached people, as I said. So our target countries primarily India number one, Pakistan, China, Bangladesh, Nepal are the top five and then Indonesia. So what we do is go into those countries and train the pastors and the church planters how how to win and disciple people better and how to target, the unreached people around them. See, most most people don't realize that there are still two billion people in the world that have never heard the gospel for the first time. And most of them live in those countries. So we go into those countries and we train the pastors, the evangelists, and the church planters. Basically how to be more effective at winning lost people. Secondly, how to disciple the people they win. Thirdly, how to plant churches in unreached areas. And then fourthly, targeting the ethnic groups that we call unreached people, the, the entire ethnic group that do not have the gospel. There's still over 7,000 of them that are are basically unreached with the gospel. And so one of the primary things we do is train those pastors, evangelists, and church planters how to target them for um, evangelism, discipling, and church planting. So that's...
2: well, Have you guys had any discussion about doing that here in the U.S.? Because, my goodness, I feel like those areas that you're focusing on are probably some of the biggest areas of weakness in the church in America.
1: Yeah, they, they really are. Our, our calling primarily is for overseas and for unreached people. But mm-hmm. you're exactly right. One, one of the things that blows my mind is, you know, when you look at the Great Commission, you know, the the, the one command in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, is mm. to make disciples. And that's the one thing most churches are not doing. That's, no. that's on the heart of Jesus. That was his, his command, his mandate going to all the world. And make disciples, but around the world we are not very good at making disciples.
2: Mm. Has it been primarily focused on converts? Uh, yes. As far as like as like like world missions, I mean, so we we, yes. we go in there, we want to make converts, and then we just kind of leave them.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that's what we we train them is how to more effectively, win people to Christ, but then how to start discipling them immediately. They get a foundation quickly so that they can grow quickly. So we have a real emphasis on discipling new believers. Every new believer that comes to Christ should have someone immediately start discipling them.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, Jeremy, why don't you talk a little bit about what we've been doing with discipleship here at New Life?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the big, big things that really, we, you know, everybody has their own definition of new life, or new life, of uh, sure. discipleship. And, right. uh, you know, for me, I, I began this journey years ago, but it really just came down to if I can teach people how to hear the voice of God and obey it, well, then mission accomplished. Because if they do that everything else will fall in line (laughs) so one of the main things that we've really been focusing on there at new life is exactly that is is helping people hear the voice of god and i think the the thing is people we don't talk plainly about what it means to hear the voice of god we talk very cryptically you know we just simply say a lot of times in messages it's just you know let god speak to you and people are like oh okay yeah sure what does that mean you know we don't teach people what that really means and how to understand it so i think that's one of the things that really has set apart, yeah. you know, that definition of what disciple discipleship is, is I need to hear, cause I, cause we can make disciples to ourselves. And I, I would argue that's what the Western church has done for the most part, has built yeah. disciples around personalities and people, as opposed to making a disciple of Jesus. And to yeah. do that, you've got to teach them because what do we learn in, in uh, John 10, right? The sheep hear his voice
1: and they know him, they know him cause they are his. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we we focus on too. That, that's exactly right. What, what I tell people is you, you cannot build a relationship with Jesus without spending time with Him, without talking to Him, without listening to Him, and without walking in obedience to Him. Yeah. You know, that, that's the way you build a relationship with anybody is by spending time and talking and listening. And, you know, we're, Isn't we're that a whole lot better at talking than we are listening.
2: Yeah. I think that's the funniest thing is it really is that simple. And we have made it so complicated and we've put a bunch of, yeah. uh, we'll say markers along the way. Well, you got to do this. If you don't get up and, and start your morning this way, or you don't end your day this way or whatever that particular teacher teaches and the reality is it's like man you just need to have a relationship just like you would have any other relationship except and i would i really qualify this except it should be the most intimate relationship you have and so if we compare it to anything we have on earth we're still going to be coming up short on what potential we have that will be our own limitation because god withholds nothing from us and is always available
1: that's good yeah And we we were teaching that for a number of years, a few years overseas, and the pastors, the national pastors and church planters, missionaries, told us, they said, okay, we understand now, but how do we do that? We don't know how. We don't have any materials. And so, at that point, we developed a discipling manual for new believers, where where the uh, idea is that a mat- that whenever someone comes to Christ, a mature believer will meet with a new believer once a week for eight weeks, and just helping them build a foundation, build relationship with them, teach them about obedience to Jesus, you know, and, and then uh, to build accountability. And one of the things that I find is that it is almost impossible to disciple people effectively without establishing accountability.
0: How do you so, do, what we, does accountability mean to you? Because there are some people that um, take that accountability and, and use it as a way of controlling
1: oh, yeah. people. Certainly. So it, c- certainly. It it simply means that you give them basic assignments and you you uh, expect them to carry them out and you ask them about it. It's not at all a control thing. And you're right, you know, especially in years gone by there were um, a number of ministries that went overboard there. But part of the time when whenever things kind of start going wrong, we back up so far that we kinda fall in on the other side. Yeah. And um so accountability simply means that you give them basic things to do. And the next week you ask them, did you do them? And encourage them to start building a life of obedience. And it's not really obedience to you. It's obedience to Jesus.
0: Totally. Well, man, you've had a long life in ministry. Um, I just got to ask, man. um, I mean, I'm I'm in ministry, obviously. Jeremy is too, and um, and I went. I've had my fair share of times where things didn't go that great for me, um, and I had to to uh, learn some things. Um, Have you ever experienced anything like that, or
1: uh, Um, things? um, Most did. In in fact, I am. You know when. In London, London was a a real blessing in a lot of ways, but it was a challenge too. It was a big challenge. And part of my problem was that I started taking more on me than any human being can possibly do. I was directing this training school. I was starting a Bible college. I was pastoring two churches and overseeing the work of our denomination in all of England at the same time. And it was foolishness. And actually what happened was that I burned out. I neglected my marriage. And um, life crashed for us. So we uh, came back to the United States, worked on our marriage, went to counseling, and uh, learned some of the foundational things about marriage that uh, I had really let go. And we we found a wonderful counselor in Tulsa, and that man saved our life, saved our marriage, and we are so very thankful for it.
2: You know, it's funny, I, I'm definitely falling into the category of doing too much. And I had to yeah. go through that same kind of uh, reformation. I know, Johnny, that the the birthplace of this podcast is Johnny doing too much. And, uh, you know, I think the reality is we have to be honest with ourselves. And, yeah. and I think it's very much the same way that we find within our congregations everybody is trying to find the formula for being righteous. They're trying to find the formula to being accepted yeah. by not just God, but by everybody else. And especially by those who we consider godly. And yeah. it causes us to basically say yes to every opportunity we have and, and to, to work hard. And then you add the, the overall culture of, of the United States and Western cultures in general, which is just strive and go and work and try to accomplish all these things. And, yeah. and really just what we were talking about with discipleship, what it really boils down to is simple obedience. And sometimes obedience looks lazy. And, yeah. and I think for workaholics, yeah. it's hard for us to sit when God tells us to sit. But, but if yeah. you think about the role of a shepherd... I mean, let's be honest. What does a shepherd do most of the time? A shepherd, in as far as an actual shepherd, they're sitting there just kind of making sure the sheep don't kill themselves. <laughs> you know, they're just keep them in the field, keep them safe, yeah. and then every once in a while you're moving them from point A to point B, but a lot of times you're just sitting there. And that's not lazy, that's just part of the job, you know? Yeah. And I, so I think that struggle is just very, very real. And when a person finally resolves that, I am not, no matter how much of this stuff I do, I will never hit that mark that I'm trying to hit. I'll never be uh, justified by my actions. Once yeah. we get that understanding, well, all of a sudden now we have this freedom to just do what God's told us to do.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. And, and what we are after in discipleship is not keeping laws. It's not mm. obeying rules. It's building relationship with Jesus
2: and letting
1: him develop character in us. See, that's what discipleship is. It's becoming the kind of person who walks with God, the kind of person who obeys God, Not, not keeping rules and regulations, but becoming like Jesus in the way we think in the way we act in the way we treat people in the way we love people. Mm. So real discipleship is ought to be about character formation.
2: Yeah, that's good. Uh, Here's my biggest question. How do we teach this to people before they're in their fifties and sixties?
1: Yeah, well, that's, that's what our church here in Conroe is going through right now, trying to develop a comprehensive strategy on how to do that. Jim. And as we all know, it's not easy. With, the, with the, our church culture, with the way we operate, with the way we look at church, with the way we do church, it's not easy.
2: Well, it's, it's understanding what we need, right? I mean, we, 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 when you're younger, you don't even realize it. My 10 my year old came into me yesterday and he said, he asked me if I exercised. Now, I exercise most every morning and he knows that. But for some reason, because he went to his grammy and grandpa's before I did my workout, he said, Did you exercise today? And I told him, which the answer was no, actually, because I'd taken a day off. But I said, Why are you asking? Well, because he said he's, he read something at school just part of his regular lesson that talked about exercise and the importance of it. Now, what's so yeah. weird about it is, I mean, he's he's almost 11 years old. So I've been on him talking about, you need to exercise more, you need to, you know, and, and just trying to encourage that. He hadn't listened to me, he, but, yeah. he, but he reads a lesson at school and he does. Yeah. And I think that that's where we see those challenges in our own churches. You know, people- yeah we can tell a 25 year old, you need to learn how to relax, slow down and just be obedient. Just do what God tells you to do. And, th- and they're filled with such zeal that they're like, no, I gotta do this and this and this. And then how do we even speak into that? Because maybe God is telling them to do that. I mean, it's hard for us to to think that's yeah. really true. You know, Our own wisdom comes in and our own uh, you know, discernment says, man, I just don't think that's true, but it's getting them to really hear and listen. And I really do, to your point, I, I really think discipleship becomes that process. You know, if they've bought in to, to letting me sow into their life, then they're much more apt to hear that. And that's where I think that personal relationship comes in.
1: That's the key, building relationship with Jesus and understanding that Jesus's goal for us is for us to be a certain kind of person, the kind of person who easily obeys what he says, the, the, the kind of person who, who who loves people, the kind of person who says no to immorality because of, of the character that's built in them. And that's mm-hmm. a challenge. That, that's a big challenge, as we all know.
0: Well, Jim, I, I didn't know um, the severity of the, uh, of, uh, your issue as far as that led you to counseling in Tulsa. Um, I talked to you before yeah. we came on, you know, that I'm a big believer in counseling and, um, what would you say to people that, man, they feel like they've spent their life doing stuff, um, and being successful and yet their relationship, the one that is very important to them, uh, yeah. hasn't been put in in its proper place and hasn't been nurtured correctly and yeah. maybe maybe they feel like they're uh, there isn't any way to recapture um thing yeah. and, and maybe they're even thinking about bailing on on yeah. that kind of a relationship what would you say to that kind of to those kind of people
1: everybody needs help and we need to admit that we need help you know, there, I think there is a time in every person's life, regardless of who they are and what kind of ministry they're in, where they need to the help. And we, we need to help people understand that we're not sufficient in ourselves. All of us need the help. And in some ways, everybody needs some kind of counseling and we, we think that is, I don't know, degrading when actually it's very wise. So my my counsel to people is wherever you are weak, get help. Mm-hmm. All of us need the help. Don't try to pretend that you don't because everybody needs help.
0: And you and Peggy obviously recaptured everything, correct?
1: We, we recaptured everything. Our, our relationship now is so much better than it ever was. We are both so very thankful. Thankful that God was with us in the crash. Thankful that we got help. Thankful that God gave us grace to um, walk in the counseling and the instruction that was given, and our relationship became far greater than it ever was. It's a a wonderful experience marriage is now, and we are so thankful. You
0: know, I think um, only when you've come through something um, like what you're Alluding to, and what even with my health issues and stuff, um, it's only when you come through those things that you look yeah. at them and actually become thankful that yeah. they happened, you know. Yeah. I mean,
1: that's so true. Yeah, that and and for some people, that's well, I guess for everybody, that's that's a little hard, you know, the knocks of life, but. You're exactly right. You can become very thankful to God that even that that happened, but even more that uh, he was there with you. And he never let you go. And he never stopped working with us and teaching us. Well, so we're very thankful.
0: Well, man, um, you know that I just lost my mom recently.
1: I do um, indeed. He was a very dear friend of of Peggy.
0: I know you guys did ministry together at times, correct?
1: We, We did indeed. Your mom and dad were very crucial in our lives, especially when we came back from London and started pastoring. Your mom and dad were a great blessing to us reaching out to us loving us believing in us and we treasure their relationship
0: yeah there's something about us yules and ministry man we're like drawn <laughs> to people that are hurting and we just want to be there and yeah, get, um, but um as we get ready to wrap up today um yeah. i've because i've lost mom um I've I've got, I've just, it's like, it's like my eyes have been open to a different way of viewing things and there's no, I can't help it. Um, you said a minute ago, you said, well, that's very hard. And I'm, I'm, I'm like saying hard stuff all the time now. Um, Yeah. you know, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm seeing us, um, as a culture, as Christians, um, experiencing, um, loss or tragedy and, and it just it takes the life out of us um, yeah. and I don't know that that's how I don't believe that's how we're supposed to be if we believe what we say we believe
1: yeah. and
0: um, I use the analogy this analogy Sunday that um, you know in football the quarterback is given a practice jersey a colored different colored jersey because that tells the defense they can't touch him. Um, yeah. and, and everybody's going to look like Joe Namath or, 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 whatever, um, in that kind of a scenario, but take that Jersey off of him, uh, and let it be a live setting where he's going to get nailed by, by a defender. And now you really find out who he is. And I'm just coming yeah. to believe that there's a lot of us in the Western church primarily because we haven't had to suffer that life is now hitting us. And I just think there's a lot of people that have bought into this idea that, Hey, I've got a practice Jersey and, and everything is great and hunky dory um, until it's not. And then they realize we're, we're realizing, man, I I really don't have the strength that I should have to, to handle this or, or, or whatever. And um, there, I just can't help it. I mean, to me, um, I guess everything has shifted to, How we handle tragedy proves the depth of what we believe.
1: Yeah. 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 Life's full of tragedy and it is for everybody.
0: And that scripture about in Psalm 23 about coming through the valley of the shadow of death, um, that took on new meaning, of course, with mom, but I keep coming back to it and God keeps talking to me about shadows and the length of shadow is the time that it takes you to get through the valley. Um, But that that's valley of the shadow of death really applies to a lot of things other than just losing people. Yeah. It's, it's death in your dreams, you know, death in a relationship, uh, death in, 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 uh, feeling like something's coming to attack your, your marriage or whatever. Um, that, that there, there is a hope that we can pass through it. If we will, like you said, admit that we need help. Yeah. And and for people that are listening today, you're maybe you're in that that phase of you know man there's there's trouble that you're going through right now um do what jim is saying ask for help if that's going to counseling go to counseling um if that's reconnecting with your spouse and beginning to date again then do that uh just just do whatever it takes um to find help jeremy
2: yeah, there's a there's a great quote that I'm thinking of through this as you guys talk and about trials and tribulations. And uh, it's from 1871, Helmuth von Moltke. I don't know if I said that right, but he was uh, in German. But the translation says this, that no plan of operation extends with any certainty beyond the first encounter with the main enemy forces. And so this idea is that the first, you know, we have, as Christians, we walk into a scenario, right. And we're like, oh, this is how things are going to be. And we have all these philosophies and ideas, but as the first contact with the enemy, as soon as that first encounter happens, you know, that quote basically says no plan survives. And so you have this plan, this ideal, and then you have a struggle. It's what you do then. What do you do when you're hitting the mouth and yeah. you realize you can bleed, right? You know, and that's really the mark of a man. That's where character comes up. And I, and I think it's important, the more that we can teach people and recognize that, you know what, make your plans, have your ideas and concepts. I call it my 38 special theology. I hold on loosely, but I don't let go. And the idea is like, you know what? I didn't have anything. I, I still don't have anything figured out. 20 years ago, I believed something different than I believe today. 20 years from now, I'll believe something different. So I'm not going to hold super tight to this world of, of concepts and thoughts that of course, I've got it all figured out in my. 45 years of life no i'm going to recognize that things are probably going to change and that as encounters come my plans have to shift and change because what comes from that is revelation as i'm hearing god's voice now i don't need to know what i'm going to do next i need to know the voice of god so that when the enemy comes and jacks with my plan god's like no no no, we're good (laughs) turn left you're fine and it, that's the peace that comes. And, and when, you know, a lot of people aren't going to understand that peace because they don't have it. And they either don't have it because they've, they've never ever had a chance to to embrace that or when the chance came, they just, they fell apart. They didn't have that basis of hearing the voice of God. They had the basis of hearing the voice of the man of God who wasn't capable or able to speak to their issue because he is not God. Right. Yeah. When, Amen. That, when you that's were, my mic drop. <laughs> when you were
0: in that that moment, really quickly um, of questioning, did you and Peggy ever consider um, that maybe it couldn't be restored? Of
1: course. How we did, did. How did you make the we, choice
0: to not go that direction?
1: Uh, I I guess by the grace of God, <laughs> just humbling ourselves before God and thinking about life and. You know, the 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 problem of breaking marriages and entering other marriages is that the same problems that cause the first marriage to be broken are gonna be with you in the second marriage. Amplified and, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and so we just we thought about it and we decided to give it our best shot. And we are both so thankful that we did. So thankful. I can't even imagine what life would be like without her. We, you know, well,
0: I appreciate you sharing your story today. And, um, listen, I've taken that, that you just said right there. And, um, I say it, here's kind of my spin on it. Um, I, I, I fear my wife. (laughs) Yeah. I fear living without my wife.
1: Yeah. And that
0: fear of not wanting to do something or lose my wife causes my behavior to go in a certain direction. Does that make sense?
1: Uh, Absolutely.
0: And I wonder how many of us as Christians really fear God. Fear yeah. living without him, fear doing yeah. fear, you know yeah. what I'm saying and letting that that kind of a fear drive our behavior, drive our love, drive us to stay connected to him and to each other yeah. in great ways,
1: yeah yeah and and we thought about the you know the pain of divorce, the ongoing pain of divorce is so much. So much worse than the pain of rebuilding. And we just decided to rebuild and we are so very thankful that we did.
0: I am too, man. And uh brother, I love you so much. I love your heart. I love that what you're doing with Mission Catalyst. And um uh if somebody wanted to find out more about Mission Catalyst, what's the website?
1: Uh mci3.org and folks, I'm gonna
0: I'm gonna put a link to their website in the in the description of this podcast. Give it one more time, James.
1: mci3.org
0: mci3.org check them out yeah. and um, maybe God would move on your heart to support what they're doing in raising up people in these other countries to go and reach their own culture. Um, yeah. through the love of God. And brother, again, I so appreciate you. Thank you for being a great friend
1: to our Blessing, family. My friend, been a great conversation.
0: Well, thank you guys so much for being a part of this episode right. on the Renewed You podcast. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and know that the world deserves a renewed you.